Well, we've been looking at the armor of God as described by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. That's why we have our soldier up here, not the right armor that Paul was describing to still give us an illustration about armor and what it does to protect us. This is the last week um, in this series. We're finishing up the last part of the armor. Next week is November. We've called November Missions Month, and we're going to be spending most of the month concentrating on missions and what God's doing around the world and how we can be a part of what he's doing around the world. I'm going to kick it off next week um, with just a, a message on the importance of, of missions in the following uh, two Sundays, we're going to have missionaries in the morning, next Sunday night, and the following Sunday night, we're also going to have, um, have missionaries with us. So I want to encourage you to be here both Sunday morning and Sunday night to help celebrate what God's doing around the world to draw people to himself. But anyway, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17, the key scripture for the series we've been going through, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We've learned the importance of wearing the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness. We know what our spiritual shoes look like and what they do for us. We understand the importance of the shield of faith. And we know that we need to guard our minds by wearing the helmet of salvation. However, there is a difference between knowing how something works and why it's important and actually using it. We have the armor of God at our disposal. The question is, are we actually using the armor of God? Are we actually wearing it on a daily basis. We all have it. God gives it to us. And when, when we accept him, he says, here, now you're part of my army. Here's your armor. But are we consciously putting the armor on every day and allowing it to protect us? So far, everything that we've looked at is for our protection. And that's what we usually think of when we think of armor. We think of protection. Everything we've talked about right now is for our protection. If properly using the armor, the devil can't destroy us. He can fire all the fiery darts he wants, but they won't be able to penetrate and cause damage. When we're properly using the armor, we will still be standing at the end of the battle. And Paul talks about that there. He says, after doing everything to stand, stand. You'll still be standing when it's over, if you're wearing the armor properly. However, there's one more piece that Paul talks about which we haven't looked at. And that's the sword of the Spirit. All the other pieces have been for our protection to protect us from the enemy. The sword of the Spirit is the only thing that Paul gives us or tells us that we have that we can use to fight back. How many want to just be human punching bags of the devil? Just stand there and let him beat you around. You're, you know, kind of like the weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And you're doing that, just taking punches. Okay, devil, hit me again, hit me again. How many just want to get a knock, knocked around by the devil? How many would rather go on the offensive and take the devil down? The sword of the Spirit. 
is the only thing that we have. He does go on afterwards, and if we weren't starting missions month, next month, we would go on and talk about it, because he says after that, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. We kind of talked about that when we t- had our emphasis on the Holy Spirit. That's our communication to God. God is our commander. We need to have that open link, just like the military. They have their, their communications to communicate and get their orders and even get intelligence of where the enemy is moving and all that kind of stuff. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit to get our instructions to get our marching orders but the only weapon we have to fight back is the sword of the spirit the roman soldier was trained not simply to stand against the attacks of the enemy he was actually trained to be on the offense and to actually defeat the enemy i mentioned in an earlier message that if used correctly the armor actually turns us into a weapon When we're wearing the armor and we have the sword, we become a weapon because we're willing to go out in boldness because we know the enemy can't hurt us. And now I've got the sword. Enemy, you can't get me, but I'm coming after you. It actually turns us. The Roman soldiers were trained to be a weapon. They were a weapon. And that should be our goal, to be a weapon that God can use to push back the forces of darkness. We wear the protective pieces so the devil can't defeat us. But we carry and use the sword so that we can destroy the works of the enemy in this world. So let's look today at the sword. Let's learn how to use it in our spiritual battle. The sword used by the Roman soldiers was known as a gladius. In the hands of a skilled man, it was a fearsome weapon. It was different than any other sword that had been created before its time. It has been called the sword that conquered the world. The sword was about 19 inches long. It was razor sharp on both edges. The point was also sharpened and small enough that a skilled soldier could actually pierce the armor of an opponent. Not only that, but the tip was turned slightly upward. And with training, a soldier could thrust the sword into his opponent and with a couple of twists, he could actually, I know this sounds gross, but this is what it was designed for. He could actually de-gut his opponent and pull out the vital organs just that quickly. It would kill almost instantly. Paul says, our sword is the word of God. Look at how the writer of Hebrews Describe the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It kind of sounds like what the Roman soldiers would do with their sword, going in and dividing the parts. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But we need to remember who our enemy is. It's made to do damage to the enemy. Who is our enemy? Paul talked about it in the first part of our passage we're using. Ephesians 6.12, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities. And we're not talking about those in the White House. Our struggle is against rulers and authorities. But which ones? The powers of this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms how often are we using our weapons that we are given to fight people instead of fighting the spirit that may be in some of those people it's a spiritual battle we're not fighting people we're fighting a spiritual foe 
A knife in the hands of a skilled person and used for the right purpose is an amazing instrument. A skillful surgeon can use a scalpel to remove cancer cells or other growths, but that same scalpel, if not used properly, could bring death. Properly used, the word of God can bring conviction and help cut the sin out of someone's life. Maybe even my life. There are things that need to be cut out of my life. Properly used, this word can help take those things out without killing me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But the same word thrown about haphazardly or used improperly can destroy or kill a person's spirit. Many people have been driven away from God instead of drawn to him because well-meaning but careless believers have quoted scripture out of context or started thrashing their sword around at every person that came across their path. That's why Paul instructed Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We need to learn how to correctly use this to do what it was intended to do. But too many times we get careless with it and we end up causing damage. Contrary to what's shown in many of the movies, a Roman soldier didn't just swing his sword and broad and powerful strokes just going after everybody and running around like a madman. That's not what they did. That's not what they were trained to do. That's not how the sword was designed. First of all, that would require too much energy. And the soldier would have tired quickly. Now the actors, they can do it. And they can just keep going and they're like superheroes. A real man would not be able to keep that pace up for very long. Secondly, when you're swinging a double-edged sword like that, you run the risk of injuring one of your fellow soldiers instead of only hitting those that it was intended to hit. A Roman soldier spent months or even years perfecting his swordsmanship. He learned how to thrust the sword exactly where he wanted it to go and do exactly what it wanted it to do. With that in mind, let's look a little closer at what Paul says about our spiritual sword. First off, I want to look at what Paul has in mind when he says that our sword is the word of God. There are two different Greek words that are used in the New Testament that have both been interpreted or translated word. The first one is logos. Logos essentially means anything that comes from God. And even Jesus himself is the logos. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. That's logos. In the beginning was the word. We know it means Jesus. In the beginning was the word, logos. And the word, logos, was with God. And the word, logos, was God. Any word that proceeds from God, whether it be written or spoken, is logos. And that's the first word. Let me give you a couple other passages where it uses logos. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. It's talking about the parable of the seeds. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word, the logos of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped generation. 
Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the logos of God, of life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we already read this one. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the logos of God. Correctly handles all of the word. You know how to use all of it. You know when is the right time for each part of it. You correctly handle all of the word. Chapter 4, Hebrews 4.12 we already read this one. For the word of God, the word, the logos of God, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word, logos, of God. Logos is anything that comes from God, the whole entirety, talking about all of God's words. Paul does not use the word logos when he talks about the sword of the Spirit being the word of God. He uses a different Greek word. He uses the word rhema. The sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. What's the difference? Instead of talking about everything that God says as a whole, rhema refers to a specific portion of God's word. John 3.16 by itself is a rhema. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, have eternal life. That's just one word, but it has a specific purpose. It is a rhema word used appropriately used at the right time it can bring life it can even bring salvation if it penetrates the heart and brings conviction genesis 1 1 is a rhema in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth that is a rhema by itself it is a rhema it's not the whole counsel of god it's a rhema it has its purpose it explains where we came from, where the world came from, that it all came from God. It wasn't an accident. Romans 3.23 is a rhema. We can pick any scripture in the Bible. Each scripture by itself is a rhema, a specific word of God, which is used for a specific situation or speaks into a specific problem. This is important. Because when Paul talks about the word of God being our sword, he's not just talking about throwing scripture out randomly. He's talking about using specific scripture for specific circumstances. A skilled swordsman would know exactly how and where to thrust the sword for maximum effectiveness. How many times do we simply go out quoting scripture and actually making things worse? We start preaching at somebody about all the things they're doing that are wrong. When so far, they haven't even acknowledged there's a God. They haven't even acknowledged this is the word of God. How can you expect somebody to act like a believer when they're not a believer? Preaching to them about all the things that we know are not going to do any good. They're actually going to make things worse. So we start with simple things that speak into their situation. These little 
thank you cards the kids are going to hand out on Halloween night have ramas in them. Jesus is a free gift from God. That's a rhema. Here's some other things that, G- that God gives free. Love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That's a rhema. If somebody's feeling like nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, that's a rhema that can penetrate their heart. Rest. Might be somebody going through something. They've had a rough week. God gives us rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. A rhema that goes right in, hits what it needs to hit, and comes out again. Forgiveness. There's a rhema for that. Peace. There's a rhema for that. Sounds like a credit card commercial, isn't it? There's a card for that. Reward. He gives reward. Revelation eleven twelve. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give everyone according to what he has done. The rhema word, a specific word for a specific circumstance. Our sword of the spirit is to hit the right target at the right time. And again, that's when we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to tell us what do we say in this situation. Because so many times we're just so proud of our Bible knowledge, we're just going to start quoting Scripture. And they don't want to hear that. We need the rhema word, the specific word for the right situation. In Matthew's chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we read the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Satan tried three different techniques to get Jesus to sin. The first one was actually very subtle. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and nights. By this time, he was very hungry. And the devil suggested that he turn some rocks into bread so that he could have something to eat. Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, talking about Jesus, was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Would it have been possible for Jesus to turn stones into bread? Sure, I think it would be. If Jesus can turn water into wine, why can't he turn stones into bread? He could do anything he wanted to do. He's God. He created the stones. And if he says, you're no longer going to be a stone, you're now going to be a piece of bread. He could change it into something else. It would be possible. Would it be a sin for Jesus to turn stones into bread? That depends. Was it a sin for him to turn water into wine? Was it a sin for him to multiply loaves and fishes? It depends. If Jesus was preaching in the wilderness and the people were hungry and there was not a boy with loaves and fishes, Jesus could have said, they're hungry, I'm going to feed them. He could have picked up stones. He could have turned them into bread and then multiplied them and passed them out. He's doing it for a purpose to bless the crowd, to do something that's necessary. But to do it in this situation was wrong. Why? Well, one obvious reason is because it was suggested by the devil. Anytime we get something suggested by the devil, even if it sounds good, if it's coming from the devil, we don't want to do it. Another reason it was wrong and it was sin is because it would be done for the wrong reasons. Jesus already knew who he was, and he knew that the devil already knew who he was. The devil's basically saying, if you're really who you see, prove it. 
it to yourself. Prove it to me. Turn those rocks to Jesus. Devil, you know who I am. That's why you're here tempting me. That's why you're trying to destroy me. You already know who I am. I already know who I am. I don't need to do anything to prove it to you. I'm not doing it because it's for the wrong reasons. Because I'm not here to bring glory to myself. Jesus never really tried to validate his own ministry. Everything he did was to bring glory to the Father. How is turning rocks into bread going to bring glory to his Father? What it's going to do is going to glorify Jesus. Jesus, I'm not here to bring glory to myself. I'm here to bring glory to my Father. This does not bring glory to my Father. All this is doing is proving to you that I am who I say I am. I already know. I don't need to prove that. Jesus had gone into the wilderness to fast and pray. The devil was trying to get him to break his fast before it was the right time to break it. Jesus said, no, I'm here fasting. My fast is not done yet, and you are not going to convince me that it's the right time to break my fast. The devil was trying to take advantage of Jesus' hunger and get him to give in in a moment of weakness. Forty days earlier, God had spoken to him from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. And now the devil opens with, if you really are God's son. Jesus didn't need to prove anything. He knew who he was. Now let me make this clear, because sometimes we, we miss this. Sin is not just doing something wrong. First off, James gives us another definition of sin. James says, to he who knows what to do is right and doesn't do it, that's sin. Sin is sometimes doing something wrong. Sin is also sometimes not doing what's right. But there is another definition of sin. There are lots of things that are neither right or wrong in themselves. But if we do something at the wrong time, and that action either takes our focus off of God, even though it wasn't a bad thing, but by doing it, it took our focus off of God. Or if by us doing that, it took somebody else's focus off of God, then it is sin. Because just like Jesus, our goal, our mission is to bring glory to our Father in heaven. Everything we do should be pointing people to Him. When we do a good deed, we don't brag about it, say, look what I've done. We say, look at what God's done through me. The reason I was able to do that is because the Father allowed me to do it because you needed help. It goes back to my Father. Anytime we do something and we say, look at me, look how good I am. Get somebody to look at us instead of looking at God. Or when we start looking at something we've done and we start being pretty proud of ourselves, look how good I am. Don't you wish you could be as good as I am? I'm looking at myself, not looking at God. Whether it be a good deed or a bad deed, doesn't matter. When we do something that gets us or someone else to look away from God, it's sin. Sin can also be something... As simple as doing something wrong, something for the wrong. Re- Why well, I ever talked about something wrong for the wrong, something for the wrong reasons. That could be a whole sermon in itself. But let's get back to the sword of the spirit. How did Jesus defeat the devil? The devil came and put suggestions into his mind. How did the devil fight back? He didn't just stand there and say, "Bring me another one, devil. Bring me another one. I'm ready. Bring it on. Make my day." He fought back. How did he fight back? With scripture, he quoted the word of God, but not the whole word. He didn't start at the beginning and read all the way through. He quoted one specific rhema word that addressed that situation. 
Now, I know most of you are already familiar with the story, but let's read it again anyway. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written. Where was it written? In his bedtime storybook? In his fairy tale book? It is written. In my father's word. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, again, trying to get Jesus to prove to the devil who are to do and prove to himself and prove to those watching. Jesus said, I know who I am. I'm confident in that. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, you're right, but it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. You want to be a king? Here, I'll make it easy on you. Right now, I own the world. I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. But if Jesus worshiped the devil, who would really be the king? Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. Did you notice that during the second temptation, the devil quoted scripture? The devil knows what this says. <laughs> He's afraid of what this says. And so he tries to take what this says and twist it and get it to say something that it doesn't say. We talked about that last week. The serpent came to Eve in the garden and he used the words of God, but got Eve to start questioning whether or not they actually meant what she knew they meant. And he actually convinced her that what God said was not what God really meant. Did God really say you can't eat? Or first he started out, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And then he started talking about why that was absurd and God was trying to protect himself. Eve said, no, God just said, she knew what God said. God just said we can't eat from this tree. And the devil says, well, why? God just doesn't want you to have any fun. God doesn't want you to know as much as he knows. He started taking the word of God and twisting it around. The devil quotes scripture, but he takes it out of context. He quoted scripture to Jesus, the one who wrote scripture in the first place. He quoted it to Jesus, trying to get Jesus to question what he had actually written. And Jesus said, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're taking it out of context, devil. That's what it says, but that's not what it means. I know what it means, and let me tell you what it means. And he quoted another scripture back at the devil because he knew what it said. There are many people in religions that say they're based on the Bible, and they quote scripture, but they use the scripture out of context. Even well-meaning believers sometimes have their own favorite scripture that they love to quote, and they're constantly stabbing people with it. Let me show you how well I know the word. Here, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. But they're actually even quoting that scripture out of context. And they're destroying lives because they're not correctly using the word 
of God. Scripture, if used properly, is a powerful weapon that we can use to defeat the devil and destroy sin. But just like any other weapon, if it's in the wrong hands and used inappropriately, it can destroy innocent lives. Jesus, because of his knowledge of Scripture, was able to recognize the improper use of Scripture and combat it with a specific rhema Scripture used in context. The perfect Scripture for the current situation. Each time the devil brought a temptation, Jesus countered with the Scripture. Jesus knew how powerful the Word of God is, and he knew how to use the Word against the enemy. After the third attempt, the devil finally gave up at least for a moment, because the Luke account says the devil left him for a time. The devil will come back. He'll regroup, come back, and try again. And while he's away, we need to be sharpening our sword, polishing our armor, getting ready for that next attack, because it's coming. We just don't know when. The enemy and his lies is no match for a trained soldier in God's army that skillfully wields the sword of the Spirit. But to use the word properly takes practice. It takes training. That's why Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2.15 in the King James Bible to study the word of God. It says study it. Study it. Make sure you know it. Study the word of God so that you can correctly handle the word of truth. We also need to memorize scripture so that it's ready when we need it. Notice Jesus didn't call for a time out. No, time out, devil. Wait, 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 wait. Let me go see what the book says. You need your sword there when it's needed. When the enemy comes at you, you need to have an answer now. You don't have time to go look it up. You got to know what it says and say, listen, devil, you're not getting me on that one. Here, let me give you a little poke. I know what it says. We don't have time to go look it up. We need to memorize scripture. We need to be ready for a quick draw. David knew the importance of Scripture. Of course, it didn't always work for him because sometimes he forgot. But more often than not, he remembered the Word of God. Psalms 119.11, David said, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We all have this. Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't even using this. It's collecting dust on their coffee table or being used as a weight to hold down other things or we're carrying it on Sunday mornings to impress people. Every once in a while, if a pastor says to turn to a passage, we may look it up. Maybe you don't have this. Maybe it's here. But how often are we actually using it? How often are we actually studying it? Are we actually putting it into our hearts? Because if we don't have it memorized, if we don't have it here, we won't have it when we need it. I need to hide the word in my heart, so that it's ready when I need it. God's word isn't just for Sunday morning or for group Bible study. God's word has a rhema for any situation you may find yourself in. But if you don't know what you say, what it says, and you take it out of context, it's not going to help you. Any situation you may find yourself in, Maybe you're discouraged. You know what? There's a rhema for that. Maybe you're being tempted in some way. There's a rhema for that. You're going through a struggle. There's a rhema for that. 
You need to learn what it says. So when the devil comes against you with those attacks, whatever those attacks may be, you're ready. You say, devil, there's a rhema for that. You want to feel it? The word of God, if used correctly, brings all of our thoughts into submission with God's thoughts so that we will always know the perfect will of God. How many would always like to know the perfect will of God? It's right there. The more we know of this, the more equipped we are to be able to distinguish, is this God or is this the enemy speaking into my life? I'm going to learn this because this contains his perfect will. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, as the worship team comes, says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The primary purpose of our sword is not so that we can use it to cut up other people. That's what we like to use it for. And it is effective on helping cut sin out of somebody's life if we use it properly. But the primary purpose is to cut out the strongholds of sin that are present in our own lives. If you really want to do damage to the enemy, if you want to drive him away instead of just standing there while the enemy uses you for a human punching bag, you must use your sword. It's the only weapon you have. You need to read God's Word. You need to study God's Word. You need to meditate on God's Word. And you need to memorize God's Word. God has a specific rhema for every situation you'll ever face. Will you be able to stand on that Word when the time comes? Because if you don't know it, It's hard to stand on it. Will it be ready? Have you learned it? Have you been trained? The Roman soldier trained in the proper use of his weapon. We need to train. Say, God, teach me to use this word appropriately. Teach me what it really says and help me to use the right scripture at the right time to advance your kingdom.